Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Uh, this is the first one that I've recorded since I've gotten back from sitting with ayahuasca. Uh, I got back about a week ago and I got an Airbnb out in the Texas Hill Country and stayed there for like five or six days and just wrote all day. Um, ended up writing a first draft of a trip report that was 20,000 words and... You know, it was the most impactful week of my life. Um, you know, and there's this thing called recency bias, which is a, a logical, no, it's a cognitive bias that psychologists have found. And, you know, there's hundreds of these cognitive biases that humans have. And it's an interesting thing to feel into that um, recency bias is called a cognitive bias and that when you apply it to your life, and you think about it for a moment, if your life is continuing to feel like it's the best it's ever been, is that a fucking cognitive error? And if it is a cognitive error, are we developing a model of reality that fundamentally gaslights and disrupts the meaning and the health of the human organism? There's an interesting critique about cognitive biases, and it's that the way that you're able to extract them out of humans is you have to put them into experimental settings that do not mirror the environment that evolution primed the organism to have those shortcuts to be effective in. And that um, it might not be a quote unquote fair perspective to call these biases errors. What makes it more interesting is because we live in a culture where entities have been born that can live functionally forever and their companies, and the companies have goals to maximize profits, that the companies can recruit scientists and researchers to exploit these cognitive shortcuts that we've evolved to have to get us to buy unhealthy food and products that have microtoxins in them and all sorts of things. And so if you want, it's not even really if you want, it just seems to be a part of the game of life that if you want to not be an easily swayed pawn, you do have to learn about these cognitive biases. But it's an interesting thing just to feel into that at least for me, in college, I studied these cognitive biases and the list of logical fallacies and almost used it as ammunition to kill the child inside of me that thinks that life is awesome. You know, and it's like really potent fodder for the existentialist nihilist that wants to look out on to the world and believe that he's smarter than everyone else because he's come up with a model of reality that kills meaning and justifies not trying and killing himself. That doesn't really seem to be very useful. And this is all a lie for me right now because the essence of my ayahuasca experiences um, was really making contact with the part of me that I've exiled which was the like nihilistic philosopher that really blossomed in college. And 
a couple of weeks before I went to do ayahuasca, uh, this most recent time, that part came back. And, uh, you know, it's a part of the fucking 20,000 word trip report where I really almost more so to honor my own experience. I, I hope it will be interesting to people. Um, but it, it needed to be that long for me to really honor kind of the original wound that created that part, the development of that part, me exiling that part when I graduated college, and then its reemergence in my life and how it was really fucking up my life. Like I couldn't listen to almost anyone speak without that part in me being like, look at this poor human stuck in their own meaning making. They're just not wise enough to see that everything's fucked. It wasn't fun in my head for a while. And um, I can report that that's alchemized. And of course, something being alchemized does not mean that it's done forever, but I now have keys. And um, I'll be recording a podcast that will be a red version of the written uh, trip report once it feels like it's ready to be shared. And it, it feels like it's kind of, you know, what happens inside of us is on some level uh, the just right medicine for what's happening in the collective. And at least one of the things that I see is this rise in the zeitgeist of this like allure to nihilism. And like, if you think of like nihilism as like a God, you know, like that all those stories or models of reality that we use to try to make sense of the infinity that's going on. One of those models is nihilism. And each of these models are metaphorically like a God. Uh, you worship to it. As long as humans believe in it, it's eternal, it can't die, etc. A part of the effect of worshiping the God of nihilism is that it makes the followers of that God believe that they're actually secretly smarter than everyone else on the planet, that they really see. And everyone who has any type of model of reality that provides meaning you know, they're just, they're just dumber than you. And that is a really good immune system for a God to have, to keep its followers from believing anything else. So I'm not gonna, I could continue to go on, but this is supposed to be an intro for the podcast that I did today with uh, Charles Clay. So um, let me just, the story is coming. The alchemy came. Uh, if it's a surprise to you, um, I don't think nihilism is the way. In fact, I'd be willing to argue that uh, it is not the way. And you know what? No, fuck it. It's a way. And it's a segue brought to you by Subway that one day, uh, it's one of those stories that Watch what happens to your life if you believe it. You know, feel what happens in your heart, in your soul. And if you recognize that you have it and you claim that you don't know how to get out of it, uh, novelty and humor.
and check out Everything Everywhere All at Once. This was brought to you by Everything Everywhere All at Once, an incredible documentary about the true nature of reality. Um, so on today's podcast, I had my friend on, Charles. Uh, he is someone that I have met through the men's group that I'm a part of here in Austin, and I instantly vibed with him the moment I met him, and I kind of get into it on the podcast, but he has got a really awesome mixture of energies of a father where his entire life is centered around showing up as a father, which is something that is rare in my experience um, of seeing. And coupled with like, you know, he's a really dropped in entrepreneur and he's an embodied man. Like he clearly has worked out for a long time and you can feel, at least I can feel, at least I tell myself the story that I can feel when someone's integrated their aggression and has integrated their sexuality and that like people who haven't integrated their aggression feel like fundamentally younger than an adult. And then people who haven't integrated their sexuality either feel like really dry, like energetically dry. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what it feels like to me. Um, or they're energetically really wet. And uh, Graham's already snickering over there because he's a child and he doesn't realize that I'm going into a deep, nuanced understanding of human nature and that this is not the time for sex jokes because I said wet. No, but I kind of did that on purpose because I thought it was kind of funny. But like there's people who either have like dried up their sexual energy and they feel... Uh, almost like hollow and brittle. And then there's people that are like super leaky with their sexual energy. And um, they're, what I mean is they're metaphorically wet, but because they're leaky with their sexual energy, they might be literally. And Graham's just breaking down over here. Like I can't even get through this intro cause, and we're not gonna cut this out. This is staying in it because it adds character to it. And I love it. Um, anyways, I just thought it was dope. So I asked him to come on the podcast and it ended up being an epic one. And there's clearly going to be a part two. Uh, he's a very good storyteller and he kind of shares, you know what? I'll just leave it with this. If you've listened to my podcasts, um, the intro question where I asked them, what's your first memory? I asked him that question and he dropped in right away into a moment where both of our eyes started to water. And I was like, this is gonna be a fucking good podcast. He is here, he is here, he is here. Um, I'm excited to release, when it's ready, the uh, ayahuasca trip report. Feels good to be back. I'm still in the momentum of the story that I don't have to rush and do the 10,000 things to be worthy of uh, being alive inside of Western culture. So that won't last, but um, I'm enjoying it. I took a nap today. As always, thank you for offering your attention to this. It means a lot to me. Me and Graham were just looking at the numbers today and we like, I do that like once a year and it's pretty good. It's going pretty good. So I appreciate uh, all of you. And if this episode resonates with you, share it with someone you love. And if you want to stay connected to kind of the pulse of my weekly shares, uh, get on my newsletter at ericassi.com.
Enjoy the show. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, you and I have met through a local men's group, and um, I instantly resonated with what I felt in you, which was like you've really stepped into the role and the archetype of being a father. You know, you have children, and also like being an integrated man, which is something that's at least rare for me in the time of life that I'm in right now, where like I meet men who feel integrated. And what that means for me is like, they've integrated their, like the two most common things that tend to be repressed is aggression and sexuality. And uh, for the men that I've met who have integrated those, most of them aren't fathers yet. And I think that one of the other like fundamental, I don't know if it's right to call it a repression, but it seems to be the willingness to integrate the archetype of being a mother or a father seems to be something that's uh, reemerging, at least in the groups that I'm around, but it seems to be something that is uh, uncommon, again, at least in my life. And so you were one of the few people that I've met that has all three of those things really like alive and active. And there's also a fundamental kindness about you that's not a required kindness because you're weak. Like there are people who are quote unquote kind, but it's because they don't have other options. And then there are people that you can feel like, I could bulldoze this conversation. I could take over this room. I could lead this thing. I can make this thing. And I choose to be kind and calm. And so uh, I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast. Man, such an honor to be here and appreciate that reflection, brother. So the question that I like to start with um, is, what is your first memory? What's the first thing that you remember uh, in the dawning of the consciousness inside of mm -hmm. this body that you have? You know, it's interesting because the first thing that comes to me is <clears throat> a pretty painful one. It's uh, very vivid. When I was about four years old, my parents were getting divorced. And I didn't know what that meant, obviously. But I remember my mom, the woman I loved the most, kneeling down. And I remember the lipstick color she was wearing. I remember the smell of her leather jacket. And she was telling me that she was leaving. And I didn't understand why, and, and I didn't know when I would see her again. So it was pretty devastating first memory. Wow. And um, yeah, that was my first memory, love and loss. That's officially one of the, uh, like the feeling of a storm coming in type of responses to that question. And I appreciate you being willing to go there right away. Um, what do you remember being the first, uh, character or person that you admired? So it could either be like a person from a cartoon or it could be an act like you'd be your mother or your father or a mm -hmm. brother or sister or something. But who do you remember being like the first either person or fictional character that you admired and looked up to? Well, first it was my dad. Then second to that was Incredible Hulk and then Bruce Lee. Cool. So if you had to articulate a 
quality in each of those that you most admired, um, one specific one for each, what qualities in those three did you admire most? To put it into one word, it would be badassery. Right, so what I mean is a specific different one for each of the three. Oh, okay. So like dad is yeah. one thing. So dad was six five, so he's like yoked mm -hmm. and strong masculine figure that didn't always have the best expression of love, but he loved us a lot. So it was really cool to see that balance of like, wow, here's a really strong man that also loves us mm. dearly, you know? And so um, Incredible Hulk was just fascinating to me as a kid. It's like, uh, I was into like working out muscles and stuff pretty early on. And so I always admired that character. And I, and I <clears throat> it made me intrigued about anger because mm. that's what amplified his power. So ironically, <clears throat> that's helped me later in life improve my relationship with anger. Not ironic, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not by mistake. Yeah. And uh, Bruce Lee, phew, so much wisdom embodied in that man. Mm. Uh, he's like the epitome of embodied wisdom to me. And it always reminds me of his quote, it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener at war. Yeah. The reason I ask that, and I love this question so much, is one of the uh, conceptual models that I resonate with the most to the point where it feels like it's a deity is the, the Greek idea of the daemon. And it's, a, it's where we get the idea of like, you're born with a guardian angel and it knows what your fate is and it tries to guide you towards your fate you know, in the same way that the fate of a seed is to become whatever expression of the plant that's encoded in its DNA. <clears throat> and that I think one of the vehicles or mediums that our daemon uses to like bring us the codes, if you will, is it's watching the culture for stories and for characters that have within them some shard of the magic that we're supposed to embody because we don't get to choose what we're interested in. You know, like that's the thing that I think a lot of people might overlook is you don't get to choose what interests you. It's so there's true. something inside of you. It's innate, yeah. Like grabbing your attention and almost like Spider-Man webbing your being to that thing and you want to bring it closer. And one of the psychotechnologies that children know how to use is story. And as soon as you go into a story, your being starts to be that character. And, you know, th there's a batting average on the podcast of 100 so far about like uh, the qualities that people see and the people that they admire mirror the qualities. Like if you go back to what I complimented you on about like why I wanted you to be on the podcast, you know, I didn't see your Hulk part yet, but I saw Dad and Bruce <laughs> Lee for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that coming out of the gates with that. It makes a lot of sense. What do you remember being the first story that you loved? Because what I find that's interesting is my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me. And my mom was a single mom and she had to work. And so me and my sister that was a year younger than me, 
her and I took care of our younger sister that was a baby. And she watched, she demanded that we rewatch Finding Nemo probably a probably hundred times over the course of a year and a half. And the more I ask people, the more I find that like almost all children seem to be, they find some book or some movie that's like, this is more, more. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, what was that for you? The first one that comes to me is The NeverEnding Story. Mm. I was so fascinated with that one when I was a kid. How old were you when you first found that? Man, that's a good question. Probably eight or nine, maybe. What What did the story feel like to you? Like, what was the, was it mystery, awe, curiosity, adventure? All what, of that Yeah, wrapped into one. Yeah, and it was a movie unlike any others. Really, it had this, like, the um, the character that's reading this story, you know, recognizing how he's actually in the story and creating it was such a cool concept. Yeah. For a movie. So I'm going to invite you to do a little game. And the game is, imagine that your youngest child is like eight and it's, a Saturday and it's bedtime and they're asking you to tell them a story and you're going to tell them the story of the never ending story, but you're going to tell it like it's your story. You know, like you're going to, um, not like it's you, but you're not going to try to just retell like the script of the movie. Like your daughter wants you to tell the story and you're like, all right. And so I invite you to tell the listeners, in the style and the tone and the voice that you would tell it to your daughter. What some people do is they start to describe the story. And that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking for you to play the game of like, tell us the story like we're all your daughter. Mm -hmm. So intertwining the two, uh, my, my never ending story. No, so yeah, and I could feel that that was confusing. Uh, don't do that. But just tell the never ending story like you have the right to tell it and how it wants to come out. That's what I meant by like, tell it like it's yours. So once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was a boy reading a book. And as he read that book and met the characters within this book, he came to realize that he was much more a part of this story than he would have ever known before he opened that book. In fact, he played a huge role in how the story went. And just like in this reality, everything we think, we feel, is always coming back to us as a magnet in one way or another. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like short stories. She's asleep already. <laughs> I love that. So an interesting thing is um, I can already see that there is a seed of the medicine that you're giving the world now in that story 
And that like a part of what you're able to really help people with is you call it inner peace. And it's essentially slowly and gently helping people realize that they're that boy. Right. And that the story that you tell about life influences how the story of life unfolds mm -hmm. back at you. Mm -hmm. And most people, most of the time, are mostly telling the story of life from a subconscious or unconscious place right. that's just riddled with wounds and fears because of pain that has happened that they're trying to protect from. And the thing that I find is uh, <clears throat> it's, it's challenging to some of the younger parts of me that uh, really resist against ideas of like fate and destiny and things like that. But it's like, again, the daemon is, is trying to find things out in the story of life to draw to you, to try to get you to tell your unique story that is like embedded in your DNA or your karma or whatever you want to call it. And as soon as we find the first story that has kind of like the archetypical roots of our story, far before we've realized what's happening, we're like, oh, I like this story. Yeah. And so with that as a starting point, I'd love for you to kind of tell us like in as long or as short as a way as you want to, what is the story of your life that took you from the boy who read the book or saw the movie to bringing you to the point where you are now that has brought you to the podcast. And I'll sprinkle questions in there, but I want to kind of press fast forward so we can kind of talk about what's happening here. But if we don't know the past, we don't know who's here. Sure. So, yeah, appreciate that. You know, this is a story of <clears throat> from pain to purpose to power. And you know, like I shared my first memory, uh, had some, <clears throat> some work to do to understand how something like that was happening for me and not to me. Because a long time in my early life, I was like, wow, why are these things that are so challenging or heartbreaking happening to me? Can you share some examples <clears throat> of a thing that I find is uh, all all of us find what's true for us in the specifics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, we could use the same example of like, how could this woman that I love so much leave me at age four? And that began an abandonment wound for me that I think a lot of people can relate to. That... I have no idea what you're talking about, no. <laughs> <laughs> the classic mother wound. And so um, I remember when my mom finally met a new boyfriend and they, she moved in with him and lived in this small town called Preston. All of a sudden it was me, my brother and my dad living together for quite some time. And it felt really kind of lonely, almost dark. I didn't have that same feeling of my mom and that feminine nature there, you know? And so when she invited us to come visit her, I was ecstatic. I was like so excited to go see mom again. And so here what we are. What age were you when you were So this time? was 
age five. It wasn't mm-hmm. even like a year later. She, we got to see her again. And so this was cool because it helped me dive into these vivid memories that I created as a five-year-old and like the genius and imagination that I had at that age. Um, my mom kind of allowed that to really open and allowed a good space for that. So when we got to in visit- In way? In, you know, my dad was a, a stickler, very disciplined, you know, very hardcore, work hard before you play hard and um, was pretty like fierce in his rules. And whereas mom was this beautiful contrast of enjoy more freedom and let's go on nature adventures Mm. and took me to the beach, you know, and then we got to go to the beach every summer and take a friend for two weeks. And that's when I fell in love with the ocean. Yeah, and this little camper, we'd play Uno on the way there. And I remember even the first day we got to go see mom, I looked at this little town and just saw potential. I looked across the street and there's this kid petting his black dog and I walked over there, said, hey, what's your dog's name? He said, Rip. I said, cool, what's your name? He said, Sean. I said, can I pet your dog? He's like, yeah. He became my best friend. Wow. And him and I and my brother created some really cool biker gangs, mm. like BMX biker gang in that town. And we were called the Scorpions. Wow. We had our own tree fort and just- Whoa, the, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. God, that's like a young boy's dream. It was, it wow. was literally, and I I just recorded these memories in such vivid HD that it's easy to tap into them and remember these experiences of just the freedom of imagination and expression. And that was a big part of my life. Um, I, I would love to pause and ask more, what is the story behind why you guys got the name Scorpions? <laughs> because like, uh, I got back from doing ayahuasca like just a couple of days ago. And I spent a week writing a trip report to really gather all the things that came through. And I had a very specific, interesting experience with a scorpion. Mm. And so the moment you said that, uh, in my inner world, it was just like, my Damon was like, ding, don't understand, don't yeah. know, but I feel called to ask more about what that story was. Yeah. You know, I've never been asked that, which is cool because at the time when I tune into my five-year-old, it was just the coolest thing we could think of. Mm. We'd never even seen one or mm. experienced one. So it was kind of like this fictional- Interesting. You know, like- um, he just did claw hands, by the way. Yeah. Everyone. You can't see it, but <laughs> like, he did claw hands. He was, just, he was just trying to get stinger. into the essence of it, and he just yeah. started claw handing. So it represented this, you know, when we're together, this gang, like we have claws, we have a stinger, like you don't want to mess with us. So I've, I feel called to like share what my download was about the scorpion and mm-hmm. see if that uh, does do anything it. here. Um, I was deep in the medicine and I was going to the bathroom and uh, I heard someone say like shit behind me. And when you're in that space, like even, like a sound like that has such a strong energetic vibration to it. And I turn around and one of the facilitators has a red light uh, to the wood floor and there's a scorpion there. I've never seen a scorpion in person. You know, I've seen them on screens i think i've seen them inside of like cages but not like a wild scorpion and 
It was probably about like uh good size. Five inches mm-hmm. long. Um and like I just she was frantically trying to find an object to kill a scorpion with. And because I was in the state that I was in, I was in almost this like rapturous wonder that fluidly became me almost like connecting to the oversoul of the archetype of scorpion and feeling into like the entirety of that being's form is aggression it's armor and it's like its ability to interact with the world is only through inflicting pain like it cannot it can't cuddle it can't hug it can't kiss it can't caress and it's entire and i felt both admiration and sadness and that like admiration for like some form in the collective zeitgeist is holding down this intense like i'm here to kill Mm -hmm. my entire thing is to murder is to destroy and the sadness was and you know this is me being on the medicine i'm like scorpions can't cuddle they can't hug they will never know it ever it's making me sad right now to even connect to it um And what was interesting is like that whole experience, like that part didn't make any sense to me to the rest of my, Yeah, (laughs) I tried to tell some people about my scorpion download and they're just like, yeah, it's a scorpion. And I was like, you don't get it. Um, But there's a part of me that feels like that was actually for this. And I don't know if that does anything, but it reminds me of the Hulk actually. Absolutely. It's like the things and the places within us as a mirror of where love's needed most. You know, this being that can't even cuddle, that's just built with armor and weapons that needs love. Yeah, do you feel that um, at that time, like there was like, that felt like how you had to be or like how the group of y'all had to be totally yeah it's it's so interesting to feel into like um i was also like a latchkey type of kid where like i was out all day uh with like groups of people i wish we had a fucking tree house we tried to make one at one point but Hmm. um like especially for young boys um just how quickly they can get all armor and weapon, you know, just like how quick and at least the parents that I grew up with and like, God bless them, they lived without the internet. Like they did as good as they could. Mm -hmm. Um, But none of the parents had the eyes to like see the kids that like needed to be held so that the armor could melt for even a moment and like, kids can get mean mm-hmm. too. So I don't know if yeah. that came up and now yeah, here we it's are. fascinating. It's on, it's on our reticular activation. So I'm sure that we'll get pinged more into uh, the scorpion as well. So that coupled with, I just met my best friend and felt like I could really be myself in this town, you know? 
And then the contrast of that, I would go back to my dad's and, you know, some, he had temper issues, you know, when he was, he, he basically had like love and kindness and then anger. Those mm-hmm. were like his two <laughs> kind of, you know, modulate between, but he was an amazing storyteller, super fun, uh, life of the party too. So uh, just a legend. And what did he do? What was his profession? He was a builder. So he loved building things, like amazing relationships. He built the most incredible homes, like dream homes for people. And um, so, yeah, I remember, you know, he took me out to this place called Moon Valley Road in Washington. It was just this forest with this really epic Mount Sai right in the background. And he said, yeah, this is it. And just acquired this land. I'm going to build a whole neighborhood here of really cool homes. And I was like, wow, my dad's so cool. And I didn't see the whole vision, but fast forward, you know, I'd come back from college on the weekends and get to help, you know, do the grunge work and and help with the framing and, and, you know, all kinds of odd jobs on those homes. And the market was so good then that he built the coolest house for our family there and then basically got to choose his neighbors because there was so many people interested in these homes and he just nestled them so beautifully with the perfect view of the mountain and with nature you know he had this real gift for that and uh, so what a cool legacy to leave behind you know i can still go back to that neighborhood and see these homes that my dad built well after you know he's left us and this human experience and and so um deep contrast i felt like this um very piercing powerful anger from my dad when he got ticked off we did something wrong or and then go to my mom's and it was like freedom to stay out even Mm. a little past dark and you know she wouldn't she was very lenient and and enjoyed like bringing home new things for us to try and was always like very just super sweet and so cool we had had the best memories in that little town preston and um still talk to my best friend often and um and so he's got a family now too and fast forward um you know more pain came when uh, my mom suffered from depression and alcoholism and so when I was 10, my dad picked us up from a baseball practice and we hop in the car and we're all ramped up from playing back baseball and he pulls the car over and I just knew, I was like, whoa, something's eerie, like something's wrong. And he said, um, you know, your, your mom um, just died recently. Whoa. and didn't didn't tell us the whole story yet but that was enough to feel like i was getting hit in the stomach by a baseball bat like over and over and over again it was the worst feeling as a 10 year old to to feel this like you know remembering my four-year-old losing my mom and then now losing her in this human experience was devastating and i remember being at my sitting next to my brother at my mom's funeral shortly after and trying really hard not to cry Mm. it was like this hanging out with older kids the scorpion you know we're not we're men we're not supposed to cry we're not supposed to show weakness 
right? These silly beliefs that I acquired. And you were 10. Yeah. And so that was years it took me to find those tears and unravel that pain. And um, so I used to, you know, avoid it and find strategies to um, just stay Captain Positivity, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, see the light side of things and, and just kind of not go into that shadow or into the that pain and how long did that period last a good um decade or so and and then it started showing up in my relationships yeah went to college uh met the most beautiful girl you go to school at washington for? state university for my degree in kinesiology and health and wellness and so i met most beautiful goddess in college and just freaking fell head over heels for this woman and like we were magic together it's so again super vivid memories with this woman in uh college and so it was about a year of just bliss and love and then what's the most vivid memory almost to like honor that part and give it some flesh in a story uh there was and this is an explicit podcast, so if that's what the story is, that's what the story yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. The first one that comes to me is we went to a football game, and she had a few drinks, and so we ended up leaving the football game, and I carried her home. So I got to carry my, you know, this this queen and um and let her rest and put her into bed and like care for her in this sweet way and i knew she'd be all right and was giving her kisses and stuff and this was early on in our relationship so this was the type of girl that like i was not trying to rush anything i wanted to enjoy every moment unlike you know some of my past it was like you know yeah there's an attraction here let's jump right into bed you know so this was like no this girl i'm gonna make sure we, we could take as long as we want. And so when she woke up, she felt so cared for and so loved that it really turned her on. Mm. And she was just, because I had been so patient with, no, we don't need to make love yet, or you know, we can just enjoy each process. She, it was like irresistible. And so that was the first time we mm. got to really enjoy some sex magic together and uh, take pleasure to some new realms. and deep in that connection. And so fast forward, um, that was about a year long relationship and then some circumstantial things happened. Uh, her dad didn't like that she was not working for his business anymore and spending all this time with me. Um, and so they ended up, he cut her off financially from supporting her in college. So she had to take a break from college and move to Portland with her sister. So we ended up breaking up and she left me and you know i was open to the long distance thing but she wasn't down with that so again heartbroken and but at that time it was like hey i'll be fine you know i can move on from this no big deal so pretty much bypassed a lot of the emotions from that then fast forward another decade later i fall in love again on my birthday i meet this beautiful woman that we would fall deeply in love and have this super passionate relationship and she ended up leaving me um you know within 
less than a year. And so here I am stuck with this heartbreak and noticing this pattern. And that's when a lot of it started coming clear for me as to, okay, I'm playing a role in this. What's my responsibility? How did this happen for me? And it was me immaturely like pushing them away subconsciously to recreate this experience of love and loss that I had with my mom when I was four, because I created some beliefs then that love always has to equal loss. And then I'm not worthy of keeping the woman that I love the most around. Mm. They'll always leave me. So that story kept getting repeated until I began diving into, um, some deeper work you know at that time i i was big into fitness i was a trainer out of college and moved to california san diego living the beach life and taking on 10 clients a day and then and then i go out on the weekends and stuff any of those heavy emotions with over consuming sex drugs rock and roll all the things until i started recognizing these patterns and i started feeling so much tightness and just reoccurring injuries in my body. I had this Where? neck thing. My neck at the time, um, I, basically after going out on a weekend, then I'd wake up the next day feeling like crap. And so I'd force myself, like drag myself out of bed, hungover, go to the gym to do something healthy and productive to make up for that. And yet it was, when I think back, it was really a punishment. Mm. It was pain. When there's pain, there's always guilt somewhere under it. And so that guilt, what follows guilt is punishment. So it was the self-punishment, um, self-sabotaging pattern that I kept recreating until I became aware of that, decided to make some, some shifts, some changes. And for the pain in my neck that, you know, it was like once it would go out, I'd be doing handstand push-ups or something, and then my neck would go out and it was super painful all the way down to my mid T-spine. And so I went and saw all the scientific, you know, things that have been proven to help with pain um, and didn't have any solutions there. I didn't have any, any luck with, you know, chiro from chiropractics to massage to physical therapy, all these things. It's always the last place we look, right? So then I finally started. By the way, it's so funny that you said that. Uh, he went and asked if he could use the bathroom here. There's three doors. Uh, if I do say so myself, I gave you great directions. <laughs> and when you got there, you opened the first door that was wrong, and then the second door that was wrong, and the only door left was the bathroom. And uh, I'm going to choose to see that as a divine sign for the proof of God and that God cares about this conversation, or it's a synchronicity, or it's coincidence, I think, and it can be all three. Uh, but yeah, please go on. And I have a deep curiosity. I don't mind seeing what's in all the doors, too. I like the Tesla in the garage. Thank you. And so that helped me dive in deeper into my relationship with pain and then realizing that a lot of these tightness what was the first thing that you found that uh started to bring you some insight because it, it sounds like in order to, to get to that point you probably found like a book or a person or an idea yeah yeah I've, i started getting into um some of the gestalt mm. work and some of the emotional elements Behind would you be willing to explain that to people listening? Yeah, so um, basically that helped me develop 
and refine over years this inner peace process that I believe is our natural state of peace, joy, love. It's kind of our home base. And yet these things that get in the way, so-called, are worth taking a look at and honoring and learning from. And so I just didn't have a process to do that. So I would just keep running from it and over-consuming because I didn't know how to go into those emotions. So uh, really, I was inspired. Finally, I got into Louise Hay, too. I'm not familiar. So, so she left behind a plethora, a goldmine of metaphysics and how our thoughts and our feelings uh, manifest into our body, right? So each word has a charge. If we're out there saying like, I don't want to get cancer, you know, you're still experiencing the word and the charge of cancer. Whereas if I say my um, sister is a cancer in astrology, same word, different charge. So if we're saying what we don't want, we're still magnetizing that uh, essence of that meaning to it, that it means to us. So basically I invited myself, I was inspired to invite myself to sit with loneliness for the first time, like deeper than I ever had. And something really profound happened because it was so uncomfortable. I would, so I, we can zoom in for a moment. Um, what age are you? And yeah. when you uh, said yes to this invitation to yourself, what was the container that you created? Mm -hmm. So this was about 23. And I said yes to, because it was the last place I'd looked, it was the emotional component of the pain that kept reoccurring in my body, that uh, I was open to it, you know, and, and Louise Hay, some of her work helped with that and understanding, oh, wow, neck, this represents our flexibility in life, like the ability to see what's back there. And so I was like, so this is very metaphorical, you know, where have I been stubborn in my life? Oh, and so this is like, you know, it, it was manifesting in my neck consistently because I was stubborn in my patterns. I knew mm. they weren't serving me, but I kept doing it over and over. So literally this was the opposite of that. I was like, okay, if I've been stubborn, let me try something new. And that something new was just sitting with no distractions. I limit, turned the phone off, all the things, and just sat by myself for a long time and noticed my mind all the thoughts my mind was watching my body going hey this is so uncomfortable like we don't have to feel this anymore you can literally just go to the fridge stuff it with something you can call a friend like go hang out with your buddies and you'll feel way better so i was considered a, an extrovert at the time and so i just noticed all those thoughts and just kept letting them flow by like waves you know imagining i'm the seat of consciousness out past the breaker on a surfboard watching these thoughts go by and instead of identifying and taking action from them like I normally would, I just kept going deeper into this. What was the physical position your body was in when you were doing this? Uh, sitting upright. Yeah. yeah. Just sitting and literally sitting with it. And it got more and more uncomfortable and then started noticing where it was getting uncomfortable, right? My, my stomach. And, and then after long enough, 
it began to subside. And underneath that was these amazing lessons and blessings. It was like this deep pot of gold of inspiration. Like, whoa, I don't know if I've ever sat with myself quietly this long. I've tried meditation and stuff before that, but noticing all the mind's band-aids to try to escape this and allowing myself to go into it and recognizing this is this painful feeling is energy and energy is information. So this information is here to show me something. And what is it? And so I found that underneath that it passed and I felt this new refound love for myself and this inspiration to be like, wow, now I have distraction-free time with myself. This is really cool. I actually enjoy Did this happen company. on the first time and uh, how long? No, I'd, I'd experienced loneliness before, but I would just give in to the mind's band-aids. Yeah, I'm sorry. What I mean is uh, when you did the sitting upright and mm -hmm. watching your waves roll through like you were on the side of a beach, um, to get to the point of having found the love, was it your first time or did you do it multiple times? And if it was the first time, how long did it take to get to that place? First time probably 20 minutes before I hit gold. Whoa. Yeah, pretty fast. And, and it was because that uncomfortable feeling would trigger the thoughts of, hey, there's a million things we can do to get rid of, like to avoid this. And I would always give into that before. So instead I was finally going deeper into mm. it and it wasn't as scary. It wasn't the, the not knowing what was, create, was what was creating the fear. And so now I'm, wow. Here I thought I was this extrovert, but I feel like I can really fill my cup when I'm alone. I enjoy my own company. This is awesome. And it inspired me much like when I sat with anxiety for the first time, really, and invited that in for tea and understood what that energy and information was sharing with me. It was similar uh, lessons and blessings in that, hey, now that you don't have any distractions, you've created this space for yourself, instead of doing all this consuming, like you have this whole list of amazing ideas that I've already created that I have on my notepad that are just collecting cobwebs. These are things, unique gifts that I have, uh, ideas, and that I just became super inspired all of a sudden to, now I have time and space to get to work on these. And so that was the message from anxiety as well. It's like, hey, I've been knocking on your door uh, trying to remind you that you are consuming way more than you're creating and you're an epic creator. So you can choose. And, and, I was, and then it became like, instead of fearing this anxiety, it was like, wow, thank you, friend. I appreciate that reminder. And then I never feared anxiety as much. And I realized, wow, this was happening when I was getting into overconsumption patterns. Mm -hmm. I call it Pac-Man. It's like my inner Pac-Man. He's just like Frank the Tank. Just <laughs> it's never enough. We'll go out for one drink. Nah, it turns into five and then 10 and then sugar and all the things. So that was interesting too, because then I started slowing things down with some breath work and noticed and began to get to know these voices in my head too, which was really fascinating because. I have a couple of questions mm -hmm. and I can feel that I'm kind of, uh, it, it feels like I'm missing something. It feels like. The story that I have is um, stubborn, 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 and then pain, and then 
uh, a one-time sit for 20 minutes and you, you had the inner ability to discern between the voices and to learn how to talk to the voices, like, did you like read or find that, something? That was came a little later. I see, I yeah. see, okay. Yeah, okay. That, that came later. I later got to know that voice more. Okay. Um, and, and so- What's the breath work that you did? Uh, very simple, I still teach this to clients and friends. It's a simple 4-8 pranayama, but I incorporate an expansion breath. So we're so used to breathing anteriorly, front, or if you tell people to take a deep breath, sometimes their shoulders go up towards their ears mm -hmm. and they're breathing vertically. But we have the ability to breathe in every direction and expand in every direction. And it really lights up the soul because you know ego's here as a tour guide to keep us safe. And it does that by keeping us in the familiar of things we've already done, even if it's really painful. But our soul, we're here for expansion. So um, this breath feels really good. And Can you demo the breath for people? Yeah, yeah. So imagine the epicenter is just inside of your belly button. So this is where your breath begins. And then you inhale through your nose for four seconds. Inhale, you can do it right now. Four, three, two, one. And then hold for just a second on the top. And then exhaling for eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one to empty. Good, now bring your thumbs to the small of your back. Yep, just above the hip bone and right below the rib cage. So you can feel that soft tissue right there. Your thumbs are just there for feedback. So now do that same breath, but as you inhale, notice how much you can expand and push your thumbs out just with your breath. So inhale for four. And then exhale, relax for eight. Do one more of those. See if you can expand even more. Imagine your whole backside expanding with your breath. And then exhale like a release valve, just letting go of any weight you've been carrying. Feel the sensation of gravity and the supports right under our feet. And in a series of these, if you keep doing this, you'll notice I have people do a little nervous system check-in and you can rate one through 10, you know, 10 would be super fight or flight. One would be complete inner peace. And when you bring your awareness in, inside and notice where there's energy residing, where your nervous system's at on that, and even if you're at an 11, super anxious, it's good to honor that and then try this tool. It's right under our nose the whole time, right? So as I began practicing this more, I was getting really cool results. Instead of being full throttle, needing coffee to, do 10 clients every day and then going out on the weekend and partying all night, and my adrenals were pretty shot. So I started using this breath technique more consistently, and especially places where I was feeling stressed. And this began to help me remember that inner peace is our natural state. So I got really good at this, and that's what I would use when the mind was, uh-oh, looking at the body going, this is really uncomfortable, this is super painful, like get out of this feeling of loneliness or anxiety, and I would just keep breathing deeper hmm. into that expansion breath and breathe into where it was feeling uncomfortable. And were there helpers that came as plants when you were doing stuff like this? Yeah. Were you smoking weed? Yeah, great Did question. Yeah, Great question. So I was 
not into gateway drugs growing up. <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, people, everybody's smoking pop and stuff, whatever. But I heard about LSD. And a friend of mine that I just... You said fuck the gateway. Yeah. I'll go straight into the castle. Straight to LSD. Okay. And I just had one friend that had done it. He shared his experience with me. And I was like, my soul was like, I'm ready for that. What age? Sophomore year or no, freshman year in high school. So that opened up. Well, this makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Okay, got it. That opened up a lot for me. And then before I knew it, you know, I was even tried LSD while at school, which was real eye-opening. I was in Spanish class and my Spanish speaking teacher could barely speak English. So she's like, it's real good. And I'm looking at the walls and they're melting and bubbling and the colors and green and you know vibrant purple lasers are flying everywhere and i and i remember thinking wow this is so weird that we come to school and i'm thinking about all the things they're teaching in all my classes and and i realized this is why i draw through all my classes i was alchemizing what was i considered nonsense that i didn't really was never going to use or learn so I used that time as an alchemist to draw really cool pictures and stuff. And, and so it became clear to me that, um, you know, that was my first experience of The Matrix before I'd seen that movie. It was like, wow, wow this is um, really a joke. And then it gave me myself permission to not take things so seriously, to have as much fun as possible while I'm in high school. And so I did, I had, uh, I pushed, push the boundaries and limits. The way you're looking at me when you said I did (laughs) demands that you share a story. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Here's here's a fun one. So we were in art class and Mr. Gombiski is our teacher, right? Say that one more time for the people in the back. Mr. Gombiski. Here's a shout out to you. Gombiski. he's, He's awesome. Big, huge teddy bear. I swear he was always stoned in class probably. And so... Um, I had sculpted, he loved me because I was a really cool artist. And I did, I, I literally pushed the limits and sculpted this awesome dragon that was a bong. So on the top of the head, it was like the, the hole for the bowl and it was all hollowed out. And then his wings formed this really cool mouthpiece. And so it was funny because here I am presenting this to him like, hey, I'm ready to fire this in the kiln. And he goes, oh. Like his face, it was so funny. And, and without any worry, I just said, what? It's a flower pot. And he's like, okay, okay, we can, we can fire that. And so I, I made my first bong in wow. high school class. And then we snuck out because later I ended up um, getting into smoking weed. And we snuck out of class and went behind the church and smoked a bowl and then snuck back into art class. But we went by one of the women that works at the school and she kept giving us the third degree. She's like, what are you guys doing? Blah, blah, blah. We're just heading back to class, you know, kind of blew her off. And she got close enough where she could smell. And so here we are in art class, we're super high. And when nobody was looking, I would just take handfuls of clay and go and just throw them on the ceiling. And it would just go and then stick to the ceiling. And so now, my friends are doing this and it was like that giggle fest 
you know, 3000 when you just can't, you even just look at each other and yep. you can't stop laughing. Yeah. So we felt like little kids in elementary school just chuckling and having the, the most fun throwing this clay at, on the ceiling. And so it went from like the coolest, most fun, playful experience in art class to all of a sudden, the door slams open in the middle of art class and Coach Canoon, our football coach, comes storming in and he is pissed. He got word, obviously. Were you all football players? Yeah, yeah. So we're all on a team and it's about to start the season. And so he got wind and literally he was so pissed he stormed in art class and went right for Stever, my friend that's the running back. And just started ripping him a new one. Was chewing him out in the middle of class. Can't believe you're doing this. Blah, blah, blah. We got football season starting. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Coach, Coach, chill out. What's the big deal here? You know, I was just trying to like give Stever a break. And so then he starts chewing me out. He's like, I can see your eyes are red. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, Listen, you know, we're <laughs> we're still gonna show up for football and all the things, and um, it's not as bad as you think. And, and he finally like chilled out and he was like, you guys are in big trouble. And he stormed out the class, right? Total buzzkill. We just went from the best laugh ever to creating like reverse mountains on the ceiling with clay to having the biggest buzzkill. And, and so then we all left and we went to our next class. Here I am in Miss Solace. Uh, language arts class. Miss Solace. Yeah. So I that's, remember all these, these that's teachers incredible. really well. And these are the teachers that I loved. These are like, you resonate with those few that, yep. and um, and so all of a sudden, I just, no, I do not want to be in class. Total buzzkill still. And I have a hot pipe in my pocket still with weed in it. And Mrs. Olson, our vice principal, comes in the middle of class and goes and whispers in Mrs. Interrupts class and goes to talk to Mrs. Solace. And then Mrs. Solace looks up with this confused look and goes, uh, Charles, Mrs. Olson needs to see you outside right now. And I was like, uh-oh. So I get up, I go outside and I'm so freaking out inside. Yeah, Like my nerves are in full throttle. And yet I got this tool. If I can breathe through this, I can get through this. And I remember just not letting her see any of that. She's, I said, what, what's this about? And she goes, I'm gonna need to see everything in your pockets. I was like, oh crap. So I grab my wallet, I grab my gum and everything but the pipe and I show her my hands and I say, so what's the big deal? Like, why are you pulling me out of class for this? And she said, okay, that's everything. You're all right to go. And I was like, close call yeah how would she not pat you down yeah dude so that was like real close this is what i mean by you know high school is kind of a joke to me and so i really like pushed pushed the envelope and, and bent the rules that i didn't really agree with or sign up for and so uh later come to find out my friend jason humphrey his dad is the principal of the high school and they went and saw him too but he didn't get off so easy so now the principal's son, my best friend that lives five houses down from me, just got busted for smoking weed and having weed on him in high school, which was a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. And, and then fast forward, you asked about, you know, plant medicines. Um, ironically, 
Mr. Humphrey's yard, because I was over there playing basketball all the time, grew these huge patches of mushrooms. And so one day I was like, Humps, Jason Humphrey, we always called him Humps, said, Humps, we should figure out what kind of mushrooms these are. Like, let's get Max over here. Max is the friend that you have that knows everything about psychedelics and all the drugs. And he brings his books and stuff. And he's like, holy cow, you guys. Like, what? He goes, these are blue ringers. We're like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, these are hallucinogenic. We're like, yes, <laughs> awesome. I'm so, not trusting my high school friend Max to identify mushrooms for us. Here's what's cool but, is that I, I had the same doubt, but I looked in the book and he was right. They're literally called blue ringers because they have a blue ring around the stem. So they're really easy to differentiate. Identify, yeah. So we freaking got these things by the handfuls. What age? This is like junior year in high school. And we would have the biggest tea parties with our small group of friends. Every time someone's parents were out of town, we were getting so high off the principal's yard that eventually word got out. I remember we'd be hanging out at Jason's house and people, we'd see like people running through the yard, kind of trying to pick them and stuff. And so I remember my first bad trip too. Was Just, it also your junior year? Yeah. Yeah, so we we would just be out of our minds in these tea parties, which was really cool. We had zero intention other than to have fun. And I love it. that you call them tea parties, and there's no hesitation. Yeah, I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, we it was so elementary. We literally got like the nylons from our mom, stole some of those, and put just filled them up with mushrooms and boiled them. That was our tea, and it worked we get super high and we would look forward to this experience. And so Josh's parents are out of town this weekend. We're going to have the tea party at his place. <laughs> and so we're so excited, you know, that like, anticipation and we have all the right people come in and we go to get the shrooms and Mr. Humphrey's mowing the lawn. And we're so bummed. Another buzzkill, right? So then later on we find out, that hey, there's this, we got wind that there's a new uh, development that has like this super fertilizer in their lawn. So they supposedly have mushrooms there too. So we went there, it's, you know, just starting to get dark and here we are, now we're those kids running through someone else's lawn, like picking these things. And we're so desperate to get high at this point that we just start munching them out of the yard. And I don't even like mushrooms. I just don't enjoy the taste of them, the texture and stuff. So this was, not easy for me to get him down. And right as I'm coming up on a super big wave of the, the first wave of these mushrooms kicking in, our, our friend Jimmy Fisher comes on the scene. And he's like, <laughs> I grew up with a bunch of hicks, you know, these guys are like, rap for boffers, get on the good foot, do the bad thing, know what I mean? Ding. So Jimmy literally catalyzed my first bad trip. Because he goes, hey, you guys, you guys are just eating them mushrooms right out of the yard? And I was like, yeah, fresh, right? He's like, no, you don't want to do that, man. It's like, what? Well, why not? So you can get heartworms. I go, what? <laughs> heartworms? This is like the worst thing you could hear while you're coming up on your eye. Oh right? my God. And of course, we were, you know, we didn't set intention. We didn't have a container. I didn't know anything oh about it. Oh my God. We just knew that these things 
um, helped you experience new new feelings, right? So this was the worst downward spiral. My thoughts took me down like, uh-oh, I have heartworms and my heart's beating like a drum and it's making things worse and getting super intense. And, and that was actually a lesson again to eventually just kept noticing the same thoughts of like, oh my gosh, I have it, I have it, I have it. And then I was able to just choose diff- to identify with different thoughts. I was like, Jimmy Fisher, what does he know? You know, like he just comes here and I let this guy like ruin my whole trip, you know? And I, so I started slowing down my breath and, and next thing you know, I'm choosing positive thoughts and noticing better feelings in my body and kind of pulled out of that tailspin. But uh, so that was an important lesson just to, to notice which thoughts that we're identifying with yeah. and, and how they create, you know, different feelings in our body. And um, yeah, so that, that was a fun story that uh, high school kind of bending the rules and not really giving a flying flip about um, that whole system. Really, yeah. I got good enough grades that I could go to college because I knew I wanted to enjoy that experience. And same thing, the first two years, I'm just sitting in class, falling asleep through it or drawing. Or doing and, LSD. Yeah, you know, I, didn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't need to do that anymore at, uh, at high school but, or in college. But um, so that, I just made sure to get the most out of these experiences. Like that was my yeah. underlying intention. And in doing that, I was able to really anchor in some vivid, epic memories in in hd you know and uh that's that's the advantage of being fully present and so um then you know coming full circle recognizing wow i really have some work to do if i keep attracting these beautiful women i fall in love with and then i'm pushing them away subconsciously to recreate the story of abandonment so it was I finally started diving into some of piecing this together after some, all the different things I've learned. I went to, you know, I basically took what resonated from all the different books, teachers and all the things and created this very simple, easy to use guided inner peace process uh, that takes you to the parts of us that need the most support, love and safety within us. And for me, that was my four-year-old, that first memory, right? There's a reason that was so vivid. What age was this where you created this system for yourself? Yeah, this was, uh, this was about eight years ago. So, and then it's gotten more and more refined and simplified. So you're like 40, cause you look mm-hmm. like you're 30. Yeah, 43. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Okay. So at 38 is when you're starting to put these yep. pieces together. Okay. Yep. And that was key because God, you're 43. What the fuck? Yeah. Doing something <laughs> right. Continue. Doing something right. Getting younger every year. So this was the first time I was able to actually go into meet my four year old as my current self and get to hold space for him and be like, hey. Were there any helpers to change your states of consciousness that were exogenous? Not at that point, which is really cool about this process. Yeah. Like I didn't need any medicines for this specifically. Um, well, except for the ones that your body has, which is like changing your breath. Right. Which is a big right. one. Yeah. yeah. The greatest tool that's already right under our nose that we can use to calm our nervous system. So, and just real quick, 
Did you use any type of breathing to elevate your energy or have you kind of always been, I don't need help elevating my energy. It's always about. No, there's uh, definitely the breath of fire. I have a whole, you know, multitude of these different breaths for whatever you want to experience. And I have, I offer um, some really cool breath techniques for clearing out any, I call it 3D debris mm. in chakras, in the energy systems. And um, so it's really profound. It's become a, a morning ritual and an alignment activation that is great for any time you're feeling out of alignment or just to start your day in this feeling of sovereignty, I call it, where you're feeling God, that's good. Yeah, you're filling like up. That. You fill up with your own life force energy by clearing out um, energetic ties to anything else that still has a charge, and in that, um, it just feels really good. And um, quick, quick plug: everybody can enjoy that. I have it on my up on my website, CharlesClay.coach. Free gift. Just go, you know, um, add add your email in the newsletter. Receive the newsletter, and you'll get an email with uh, this guided alignment activation that you can use anytime you're feeling out of alignment and it's it's a game changer and so it's a it's this refined combination of breath movement and meditation visualization that that works really well this is actually a great uh segue i can't believe it's already been an hour and a half and Whoa. the time slot that we have is until 1 and so i guess this is the great segue to move into um for people so because again the thing that i want to make really clear is um you are one of the only people that i know that are at the place that you're at which involves being a parent but also like holding your own and the type of men's group that we're in and you have a piece about you that uh you know my inner jealousy is like i want that please i would like that right there um and so there's this interesting thing that happens for most people that uh, you're not supposed to quote unquote ad hominem people that like their work is supposed to stand apart from who they are. But I think like spirituality slash like, you know, quote unquote coaching is like, no, your resume is who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's actually bound together because of the type of work that you offer. And so from your resume that I see, uh, I, I vouch for you. And so with that said, I'd love for you to have an opportunity for people who are listening that resonate and that want to know more, um, maybe giving a quick overview of the whole thing. Yeah. And like, what's the best way for them to download those codes? You know what I'm saying? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you for that reflection. And um, we're all just reminding each other what's possible. So that process that I've refined and going into the part of us that, that was still caught in this loop of a challenging experience, for me it was loss, the abandonment wound, getting to dive into those feelings, which are energy that was stuck in my body as issues in my tissues, and get to understand the story that was created then is really important because that's yeah. what keeps running in our subconscious that will keep showing up as suffering in our experience until we resolve it from the source. And as evolving humans, I'd say one of the greatest skills and abilities you can have is the ability to go into limiting beliefs 
and be able to release them and, and bring in some, some new information. So that's what this process is great for. And in that, you get to witness as, your ener- as that stuck, trapped energy finally metabolizes. That area so your real quick, um, what is the practice for once you've found the belief? So yeah. like, I'm good at mm-hmm. finding my beliefs. Right. Um, it tends to be, I have yet to really get uh, consistent results from alchemizing them that don't involve getting to transpersonal states of consciousness. It's a great question because a lot of people are aware of some of these limiting beliefs and they're like, now what? And so was I until I found this that worked. And in this process, you're not only bringing your current self to support, providing the love, support, and safety to the younger version of us that needs it in that moment, you're inviting them permission to, and that's where the story's created. And then you get to offer advice about, hey, this is no longer true. And I can show you by getting you up to speed if you want. So you're everything. talking to right. the belief like it's a character. Talking it's, to it's, my it's younger self part of where you. the belief was created. Right. And yeah. you're having a conversation with right. it as the you are now almost mm-hmm. re-parenting? In real time. Reparenting. Got it. Yes. And that Got way, it. and you keep checking in with that younger part of us and making sure they feel okay, they feel supported, they're loved. And then in that same process, you're then getting to call in an older, wiser version of yourself, your higher self. That's dope. And this is where, this is really cool because whenever I guide people through this, it's amazing how fast they can call that in. And a lot of people can really like, they're like, oh yeah. Sometimes it might take people a little while to let the memory come to them where Mm -hmm. this is rooted because there are protectors of, 100%. you know, that, oh, let's not go there. And 100%. so um, the more, then we just drop into a more relaxed state, more tools, and we get there. And then calling in your higher self, this older, wiser version of yourself is super supportive because then that version of you can give your current self some advice or some wisdom. I love that. You can then embody and... Do you have people imagine this, speak it, write it, paint it? What's the yeah. medium? Yeah, so first I guide them through this, the inner peace process. And um, it's an eight week journey we do together, but even a couple times of being guided through this, you you recognize the power of it when this, you can literally witness this energy finally metabolizing your system and your higher self's embodying this deep wisdom of what's really true. Interesting. Then for me, the, I realized how powerful this was because right after that, I literally got super clear and called in my queen. And boom, 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 dreams just started coming true like that. And so that's just why it really excites me to get to share this medicine with the world because it doesn't, you don't need plant medicines for it. And um, it's already your own power. You are your own greatest healer. So this is just a step-by-step process to go into that. So once they experience the guided process, then I give them a take-home version of it. And it's a seven-step process to do exactly that. And you can do it through audio. If you just hit play and listen to yourself, a video or journaling, I recommend trying all, all of those to see what works best for you. But when you go through, so now people are empowered to anytime you get triggered, anytime you feel uncomfortable, loneliness, anxiety, whatever it is, you can 
choose those old patterns that the mind offers of, hey, I got to go to the fridge right now because this feels really uncomfortable or let's go drink and numb this out. You can choose that and it'll keep perpetuating the same problems. Or now you have a tool that you can literally go to the source of where yeah. that's coming from, relieve it for yourself, and then watch as more and more of your dreams come true. This clearing this energy allows more new experiences, opportunities, signs, synchronicities to show up in your experience. And that's why it's so exciting to get to do this work because the results are across the board, like from people um, improving their health, watching their weight loss, because they realize, oh, wow, I don't, I don't have to keep protecting myself so much when they provide safety to the younger version of them that was stuck in this loop. And then weight just falls off them, body fat. There's others that, you know, worked with a lot of real estate agents that had the crazy roller coaster ride in their finances. And all of a sudden they're hitting like new records for best in the region for the most deals and all these things just showing up in their experience because it's like driving a, a Lamborghini, but you've had the e-brake on the whole time, these limiting subconscious beliefs. For sure. So this is a way of releasing the e-brake, metabolizing that energy, and they get to do it for themselves. So every time something uncomfortable comes, you can choose this and go to the source of it and gain the lessons and blessings from it, and then watch as your experience, your reality changes from that. And so I wake up every morning and get to see this beautiful goddess, Sophia, that is like my greatest creation ever, co-creation with my queen. She's a dream come true, my daughter. And we have another one on the way in the womb. And she's my greatest inspiration. I literally, anytime I feel triggered and I'm like, oh, I don't really wanna like go through the whole process right now, I think of her and I say, I can release this old generational wound I can release the old programs, conditioned patterns that go along with this for myself. And not only me, then she doesn't have to carry this forth. She doesn't have to perpetuate those old silly programs and, and false narratives. And so that inspires me to at least take the first three steps. And usually when you take the first three, you're like, oh, oh wow, I'm getting into this now. And you go all the way through. And um, so she's my greatest inspiration and uh, we also have just so much help on this journey. You know, literally the other day I was, had my hand on the womb, um, our new baby just growing perfectly. And she's in this experience of this dark womb, you know, it's super comfy and in this like waterland, right? And there's just this small veil between her and I of skin. And yet, she can still experience my voice and my vibration and feeling and, and we can connect in that way. And it just, I zoomed out even further and I was like, wow, we have just this tiny small veil between this reality and my parents, our forefathers, all of those that have passed that we can experience and mm. vice versa, you know, in this experience, they're here with us too. So it's been, um, it's been, remarkable being that close to death of both of my parents you know save my my dad's story for another one there's so many gifts in yeah, there you're too coming but, back. but that's being that close to death and loss of the ones that i love so much has actually helped me like fully live life because we're in this realm of contrast and we can choose how we want our story to go yeah 
you know, and just most people are just so stuck in the groundhog day of the same experiences over and over that they're not using their imagination to what is it that I actually want to experience in this life? What are the gifts that you were, that God gave you in this human experience that you can share and express and, and help a lot of people that you're selfishly keeping to yourself? And, and you know what that is because it'll eat us up inside. Yep. It was for me. That's what the, that's what the, the anxiety was telling me. Hey, you came here to share some of this important gifts and medicine. And that's why I keep taking my own medicine because, um, you know, I haven't, I still have a ton to learn. I'm, you know, still, but now I just have such a different perspective when I, a challenge or a trigger comes up, I just put on this lens of curiosity and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. This, this guy was able to uh, evoke some anger. That's fascinating. Like what a great teacher. And then I use my inner peace process to see what are the lessons and blessings from it and resolve wow. it from the source. So it's one of my greatest gifts to humanity and I'm really excited for more people to experience it and then get the take home version of it. So this is a tool you can use for the rest of your life. That's super empowering. And um, this is incredible, man. And I can really see I'm, I'm, I'm having some downloads. I'm going to go write some notes after this podcast. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. Charlesclay.coach is my website. Lots more information there. Again, get your free alignment activation. It's super fun. It's 22 minute guided activation that you can get just by signing up for the newsletter. And then um, you can also uh, reach me on Instagram. I'm on there sometimes, charlesclay.coach. And shoot me a DM if you're on IG and any of this resonates to you. Like, you know, one of my lessons was when I was stuck in my own stuff, uh, it was so hard for me to ask for support. Yeah. That was, I think every guy recognized. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, just go to the man cave and, you know, deal with it. I'm going to go watch basketball. Yeah, totally. And so. And order hop I I would encourage, even if it's not with me, just follow your inspiration to whoever you are guided to receive some support with and Completely have the courage to, to reach out. Um, it's a game changer. And so I appreciate all my teachers and guides and divine reflections uh, like yourself, brother, on this journey. It's um, such an Likewise. honor. Super fun. Thank you so much. We're going to have you back on. There's more stories to tell. Yep. And thank you so much for sharing your gift. Absolutely. It's an honor and a pleasure.